0: To be a bit. Okay. in Matthew 28 uh, the last three verses 18 19 and 20 uh, is our great commission It's what it's often called uh, it's the most well-known uh, version of the great commission if you want to follow along with me in verse 18 it says and Jesus came and spake unto them saying all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the world. Amen. Now, In Matthew's version of the Great Commission, we see the risen Christ commanding his disciples uh, what they are to go forth and do. And then a general plan for doing what he has told them to do. They are to make disciples by going, by baptizing, and then by teaching to observe everything that Christ had commanded them. But notice what's missing from this version of the Great Commission. There's no mention uh, in these three verses of what necessarily is to be taught. You want to know what's to be communicated and and how that truth is to be communicated. We need to go to Mark chapter 16, uh, verses 15 and 16. Let me read those to you. And he said unto them, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Verse 16 says, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. Now this version of the Great Commission makes no mention of making disciples but it is more specific about what message is to be communicated and actually how that's to be communicated. The gospel is to be preached. Also, specific mention is made of the destiny of the individuals tied to their response of the gospel that is being preached. So it's fitting that the version found in Mark, a gospel written to benefit uh, a Gentile audience, would make mention of preaching the gospel to every creature While Matthew's gospel, which is written to a Jewish audience, makes mention of all nations. And we need to understand this all nations thing. In the 20th and 21st centuries, the concept of of a nation is quite different than it used to be. With nations all over the world really being populated by different people groups with different ethnic identities. The Greek word found in Matthew 28, verse 19, that's translated nations, is a Greek word ethnos. It refers to people that are united by kinship, culture, common traditions. Our word ethnic comes directly from that Greek word. So even though it's thought these days that the Lord was directing his followers to make disciples of, of, you know, in, in every country, He is actually directing his followers to make disciples among every ethnic group. So there's always been, in the New Testament, a directive to reach people who do not share your ethnic background. People who do not look like you, people who do not talk like you, who are different than you. That's Christ's command. It's hard to be racist and an obedient Christian now what this means is you can't claim obedience to the great commission of the Lord Jesus Christ by sending missionaries to foreign countries all the while making no effort to reach those in your own cities or your own neighborhoods that grew up speaking differently than you Or grew up eating uh, different food than you're used to eating. So, what's not obvious in Matthew is very obvious in Mark, where these words Jesus spoke go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Everyone is to be preached to, every ethnic group is to be evangelized, and we are to be involved in that evangelization there's a third version of the Great Commission it's found in Luke chapter 24 where Jesus Christ spoke to the two men that he encountered on the road to Emmaus uh, following his resurrection it's uh, Luke 24 it's verses 45 to 48 and it says this uh, then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures, verse 46 says, and said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer, to raise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in, in, in his name among all nations, ethnos, beginning at Jerusalem, and ye are witnesses of these things." Now, in this version of the Great Commission, we see that Jesus' desire is that repentance be an integral part of gospel preaching, something that's not mentioned in Matthew and it's not mentioned in Mark. And while the death, the burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is specifically noted in this account of the Great Commission, baptism and the training of disciples isn't mentioned, not even in passing. But wait, there's more. There's a fourth version of the Great Commission in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. And the Lord utters these words to his disciples moments before he ascends into heaven to sit at his Father's right hand where he'll remain until he comes back for us. It says this, "But Ye shall receive power. After that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses uh, unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea, and in Samaria, and and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. Now, this version, too, says nothing about baptizing or uh, teaching new converts, but it does clearly show that the entire world was the simultaneous mission field of the disciples. It is very clear from the comparison of the different great commissions that we've read that, that that a certain thing is to be done, that certain thing is to be done a certain way to a certain audience, and that full compliance with Christ's will requires that all of these versions of the Great Commission not just be known and studied, but that we implement them. See, from Matthew's Gospel, we see that the Great Commission is commanded to make disciples, something that uh, does not show up nearly as strong in the English as it does the Greek, but also the Great Commission in Matthew shows the particular sequence that's involved in making disciples, as well as really emphasizing, again, every ethnic group needs the gospel. For Mark's gospel, we see an emphasis on preaching and on preaching to every creature, on preaching the gospel, on baptizing uh, those that believe and the destiny of those who believe and the destiny of those who do not believe. From Luke's gospel, we see that repentance is an integral part of genuine evangelistic preaching or teaching. When you share Christ with your friends and families and neighbors, if you leave out repentance, you've left something huge out of your presentation to them. In the book of Acts, we observe that, you have seen the gospel accounts of of this at all mankind. Every human being, anywhere on the planet is the mission field and that's the lord's directive to take the gospel the good news to every single one if you're still in matthew 28 look at it again because it says if you have the red letter edition let's read that all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth go ye therefore and teach all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the world. When Jesus was training his disciples, he trained them, taught them with repetition. Again and again and again he would teach a truth. Uh, First this way and then that way, then another way, over and over again until they really understood it not 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 just the truth but also the implications of the truth the way to apply the truth and i think pastors and and this would include me i'm I'm guilty of this that that we do a disservice to church members by teaching too much new truth and not spending enough time instilling the old truths in people, till it becomes a part of their life, until it's absorbed into the deep recesses of their minds, until it becomes a part of their world view. See, Jesus didn't make that mistake, of course. But whether it's the Great Commission or some other truth, the Savior's approach was based upon his understanding that precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line. Here a little, there a little. But when we come to the Great Commission, I mean, it was given well over 2,000 years ago to a relatively small group of men. And they lived thousands, thousands of miles away from here. What does it really have to do with you and me? That's why the title of the message is What It Is, Our Great Commission. And by the time we're done, when you walk out the door... What I want you to do is to buy into the great commission is not just the great commission given by our Lord and Savior, but also the great commission as given to you and me by our Lord and Savior. So we're going to take this apart here. The first part of this is the Great Commission is ours, right? It is our Great Commission. Now, it's possible that something can at the same time be possessed by one person and also by somebody else. It's absolutely nothing wrong with me reckoning that the house I live in is my house, while at the same time, my lovely wife can also say that is her house, Right? It's my house. It's her house. Nothing wrong with that. While we own up to the fact that the Great Commission is the Lord's, belongs to him, he authored it, he verbalized it, he issued it, it is also ours in that we are the intended recipients of this Great Commission. But at this point, there's the question that comes to mind when when folks start thinking about this. How can the Great Commission be mine when it was issued to people so long ago in a country so far away? I want you to look again at Matthew 28, verse 20. Just the last half uh, to get the answer for, for that question. Jesus says, and lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the world. Right? The words from the risen Savior to his disciples had to be comforting to them. Remember what they had gone through up to this point. What profound assurance they would have derived from, from this Jesus who had conquered death that he would be with them as they faced persecution and even death themselves. But notice what the Savior's words of comfort here were not directed only to these men uh, who faced him on that occasion, but it says, even unto the end of the world, even unto the end of the age, that reveals that this promise of comfort this promise of consolation was guaranteed to Christ's followers long after these few men were dead and buried. So what Jesus said to those few men so long ago is applicable to you and me here today in Northland Bible Church, just as much as it was to them back then. Because this process of making disciples, who will then make disciples, who will then make disciples, who will then make disciples, was intended by our Lord to be an age-long process, ending only with the rapture of believers. So you can take the Great Commission as being just as much yours as it was John's, or just as much yours as it was Peter's, or just as much yours as it was Andrew's, and on and on. But is it right to call this great commission our commission? Let me show you some things. In Romans chapter 1, verse 1, the Apostle Paul identifies the gospel as the gospel of God. It's it's God's gospel, right? Down in Romans 1, verse 9, Paul identifies the gospel as the gospel of his son. Essentially, it's Christ's gospel. But in chapter 2, Romans chapter 2, verse 16, He's strongly affirming that the gospel is my gospel, Paul's gospel, he says. And he does it again in chapter 16, verse 25. He calls it my gospel, Paul says. And then in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3, he refers to the gospel as the possession of both himself and his co-laborers when he writes, but if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. I hope you see that Paul was able to own the gospel as his by virtue of the fact that he was embracing it, by virtue of the fact that he believed it, by virtue of the fact that he preached it, and the same thing should be true of you and me, especially where the Great Commission is concerned. Do you embrace the commission of your Savior? Do you agree with the commission of your Savior? Are you given over to obeying this commission from your Savior? Then you and I, the rest of us here in this church, who have believed the gospel, who are being taught to observe all things that Christ has commanded us, we can own the great commission as ours, as surely as the apostles and the disciples owned it. So yes, we can say this is our commission. See, it's also uh, it's kind of great, and we have a great God, right? Is not our Lord and Savior a great Lord? Is He not a great Savior? Do we not have a great salvation? The Hebrews author said, "How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation?" So, our great God, our, 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 our great Savior, has given us a great salvation. We know the gospel is great. I mean, would the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, the good news, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures, can't we call that a great gospel? How can our commission then not be a great commission? A great salvation conceived in the throne room of heaven by our great God secured for sinners at great cost by the great sacrifice of our great Savior. There's no other way to describe this. It is great. It's a great strategy for taking the great gospel to the expanse of mankind. So that sinners might partake of this great grace and this great salvation. And by this, they might come to a great savior. And be reconciled to the great God almighty. Our commission is great Because it's a great challenge to us. But it's a great cause. It's a great enterprise for people made great by the grace of God. And the results are also great. There is great grace for those who respond and become reconciled to God. That someday get to enjoy the very presence of God in heaven. And there is great tragedy. There is great heartache for those great fools who dillied and dawdled and wasted time and waited too long. There's great suffering. There's great penalty for that. So we see that everything about our Great Commission is great, right? Nothing about our Great Commission isn't great. So whoever named it the Great Commission, they did a good job. They picked a good word for this. But not only is it ours, and not only is it great, it is also truly, in every sense of the word, a commission. To get a handle on what a commission is, let's consider the let's let's consider the military here. And I did have this checked out with a military buddy of mine to make sure that it was fairly accurate for our purposes. It's not complete in its detail, but it will do, he said that among the ranks of enlisted personnel in the military, there's those of superior rank called non-commissioned officers, non-coms, they're called. Non-commissioned officers, they will hold rank like corporal or sergeant and some others. But, and there's different grades of corporal, different grades of sergeant, or if you're in the Navy, there's an equivalent to that also. But, but all the corporals and the sergeants in the military, they are non-commissioned officers, okay, non-coms. Now, of a higher rank in the United States military are what's called commissioned officers. And to illustrate the distinction between the two, between non-coms and commissioned officers, it's required that a non-commissioned officer actually be discharged from active duty so that they are, in effect, at that moment, a civilian before they can receive the commission as an officer. Now... When an army sergeant is promoted to a second lieutenant, he has to be first discharged from the army as a non-com, and he has to sign all the paperwork. You know, make sure it's all done, and he has to take care of it. Uh, then he receives the commission uh, in the officer corps of the army. Right? But why are officers so specially or specifically commissioned, while well, our enlisted personnel are not commissioned? It's because a commission in the United States military is actually a presidential authorization to act on the behalf of the United States government. Enabling that commissioned officer to assume certain responsibilities, obligating that commissioned officer to discharge certain obligations, and uh, he's assigned both responsibilities and he is accountable. Now remember the four versions of the Great Commission that we've looked at so far. Does our Great Commission authorize us to act what Jesus said that all power or all authority is given unto me right so so he was thus stating that he had the authority to commission this is the president of the United States has been granted authority by Congress to commission officers now now look you have been commissioned by the highest authority in existence anywhere in the universe the Lord Jesus Christ the son of the living God to act on his behalf to discharge your assigned duties, to fulfill your assigned responsibilities, and you will be held accountable. But understand that this great commission of ours is not assigned to individuals like commissions in the army or or whatnot are assigned to individual men. Our great commission is delegated to churches, to Northland Bible Church, To other churches of like faith and practice those who who believe the word of god and 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 want to teach and preach the gospel how do we know this well we look back in matthew 28 verse 19 where it says go ye therefore and teach all nations baptizing them in the name of the father and the son and the holy ghost see churches are those organizations that have the authority to baptize so as far as a great commission goes to invest with the authority to make disciples uh, and then baptizing them it has to be a commission that invests in churches Uh, the churches are invested with that authority not individuals so the great commission is not my great commission Uh, neither is our great commission your great commission it is truly absolutely ours Okay, we as a group, as a congregation, this is our great commission. Just as certainly as those who, who, who are church members can say that Northland Bible Church is their church. Yes, the church is Christ's. Yes, it belongs to him. Yes, he is the head. But for those of us who are invested here, this is our church. We're invested with the authority by the Lord Jesus Christ making this our great commission. You know, I've been in the ministry in one, one form or another for an awfully long time. 25 years as a missionary, but many years before that. And I don't know what kind of person I would be if I wasn't a missionary, if I wasn't pastoring this church, called to the ministry. I, but I do know this, that before God called me into full-time service, I was, I was a committed church member. I wanted my life to count for the cause of Christ. I was, I was a giver. I tithed, I gave. I was a goer. I was a prayer. I was available. Um, so I, I hope that, the, that if I wasn't in full-time service, if I wasn't a missionary, if I wasn't pastoring someplace, that I would still be a faithful, committed church member wherever I was. But, but what would lead us to that kind of commitment what what leads us to to that kind of willingness is it is it our love for God and and our desire to exalt Christ well in part probably that plays a big chunk of it but but there's a lot who profess Christ who who don't really account for much along the way the older I get and I didn't say that because I'm getting pretty old now the older I get I'm persuaded that one of the factors that leads to our commitment, an ingredient that results in effectiveness in your Christian life, comes from buying into the great Great Commission and owning it as a congregation, as ours. It, it, it occurs when, when, when somebody realizes that, that the church they belong to is, is, is their church. No, like this is my church. And they realize that the great commission that the Lord gave to his disciples as representatives of the churches has led them to believe that, no, this is my great commission. This belongs to my church, and I'm a part of my church, so I have to work this also. You see, we are we're immersed in something bigger than just us we have been swallowed up by the cause of Christ. And the, the practical and gut-level and, and gut, gut level result of being swallowed up by the cause of Christ is, 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 is seen in a person's involvement in the church that they call theirs as, as, as that local church works to fulfill this great commission. Now what happens when that Christian, that church member, sees the great commission of his Lord as our great commission the commission that's delegated to him and the others in the church that he's a member of well when that happens and you begin to live that and work that and do that then you begin to serve God more effectively then you're caught up in the realization that 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 you are who God wants you to be and you're doing what God wants you to do is it easy no no. are there heartaches are there setbacks oh you betcha for sure yeah can it become frustrating oh you have no idea yeah but there is nothing in this world that matches the satisfaction of knowing who you are of knowing what you are And doing what God has created you to do. Pulling us together as a congregation and using us in part to reach a world for Christ that we will be held accountable for. So my prayer is that you too will will get in harness with this. That you'll embrace this as your marching orders, as members, as attenders, as involvers with Northland Bible Church, that you'll see this responsibility and commission and obligation as it is indeed intended as our great commission. We've got a job to do, and we need to do it. Stand with your heads bowed and eyes closed if you would, please. Father, we want to thank you this morning for this look into your word for, Lord, for the responsibility that you've given us to reach those who don't know Christ. And Lord, we, we understand, we, we get it that, yes, it's our family and our friends and our neighbors, the people we work with, people we see every day. We don't have any trouble understanding that, that it's the people within our immediate influence that we are responsible for to try to win to Christ. But Father, so often we get busy and we forget that you intend us to put efforts into reaching the entire world for Christ. That you have commissioned us. That Father, you've given us the obligation and responsibility to make sure everyone hears the good news of Jesus Christ. So, Father, I pray that you'll work this message into us. That we'll become more aware of souls that are lost. That we can feel the burden of our responsibility to preach the gospel to every creature, to every people group. And, Father, I pray, again, that you would work in us, that that we would not be able to rest if we're in disobedience to you Lord please light this fire in us as we talked about Wednesday night the fire burning in us of your word that that we have to let it out Lord make it our passion make it our unction to obey you for we pray in Jesus name Amen Mike would you come ahead